Senator Hoven. Thanks, Mr. Chair, and thanks for holding the meeting today. I want to follow up uh, on uh, what uh, Senator Cortez Masto is talking about here. Uh, last month, uh, we had uh, the chairman, uh, Jamie Azure, of the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa Indians testified in front of this committee, uh, and he said that there's one, one, and this is going to be for you, Mr. Melville, one BIA uh, drug agent stationed to patrol all of our reservations in North Dakota. We have five reservations spread out over thousands of miles, two of which we share with uh, South Dakota. Turtle Mountain's actually up on the Canadian border. Uh, but so to address this, the North Dakota legislature authorized additional North Dakota Bureau of Criminal Investigation agents to work with and near tribal communities. So uh, last year, uh, Spirit Lake entered into an MOU with the state of North Dakota, agreeing to share resources and information pertaining to law enforcement operations. My question is, why has the department taken over three years to review an MOU between uh, the Turtle Mountain Tribe and the state of North Dakota to address law enforcement and public safety issues on the Turtle Mountain Reservation when we have that shortage of BIA agents? Why would, why would you delay that for three years? Thank you for the question, sir. Um, so I'll let you know that the uh, agreements have been reviewed by our solicitor's office. And that tends to, uh, when you have solicitors get involved, it's, it takes a little bit longer. I guarantee that we have uh, our folks on the ground trying to work together no matter what, if they have an MOU wow. or not. Three years, do you think that's acceptable with three years? No, absolutely you not. Commit to me, you'll do something about it. And again, that's just our experience. Well, there are more than 700 reservations around the country. Will you commit to me that you're going to do something about this? Absolutely. Okay. Along those lines, we've set up a, a law enforcement a training center for BI agents at Camp Grafton, which is our National Guard site in, uh, in North Dakota. I think something like 50% of the jobs in the upper Great Plains for BIA law enforcement officers are vacant. Places like Montana, Alaska, North Dakota, you know. And so the whole idea is because it formerly all had to go down to New Mexico for training, that a lot of the folks from the, you know, northern uh, uh, tribes and reservations didn't want to do that. They wanted to stay closer to home. That's why we set up this center. Uh, so, you know, what can you do to help us continue to, recruit and get more of these uh, BI law enforcement uh, candidates uh, to uh, to our training center. Actually, the reality is I think we're already running over capacity. So it's really what can you do to help us continue to staff up and resource it to handle more of these agents when we need so many of them across uh, all of our Northern Plains reservations. Uh, what, what can we do? Uh, you know, we can always uh, be looking for uh, additional positions. We're constantly recruiting. We're reaching out to the tribal colleges. Uh, we've even started uh, working with um, high school age kids. This, um, I think the biggest thing is to help us resource it. We're, we already have more applicants than we can handle. And these are folks that will fill these Northern Plains BIA law enforcement positions. So we need your help. I think under the Badges Act, uh, we have a proposal that the Bureau of Indian Affairs would be able to do their own background investigations, which would speed up the hiring and, and getting boots on the ground a whole lot quicker uh, than that. Yeah, but what I'm looking for is help getting them through the, to, the, to and through the academy resources there. Are you willing to work with my staff on that? Absolutely. 
Okay, and then um, I want to ask about the uh, commitments and uh, board for uh, Mr. Cohen. Um, why aren't we doing more to stop the influx of fentanyl across the border, as well as just the flow of people across the border, and um, you know the, the flow of drugs, uh, not only to every community in this country, but to every reservation? What do you think ought to be done, or do you think it's acceptable what's going on right now? Senator, we've got record numbers of personnel on the border. Um, something like 85% of CBP is, is facing south, and that's actually paying off. The, the, the teams at CBP um, are making record seizures of illicit narcotics coming across the border, uh, some 547,000 pounds of illicit narcotics uh, last year. Of that, 28,000 pounds was illicit fentanyl. Um, so we're making sort of historic commitment there, and we're seeing some historic return. Uh, and, and I think that's, uh, that's should the should the metric be how much you seize, or how many more people come here illegally, and how many how much more drugs come here more drugs come here illegally? So if you're if you're getting if you're seizing more all the time, and there's more and more coming into our communities, you consider that success? Well, the 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 metric for me is reducing. Overdose death. I mean, that's the North Star for me. That's the North Star for the president for this administration. It isn't reducing the amount of drugs that actually flow into the country. The, the metric is trying to reduce from 110,000 Americans that passed away last year due to drug poisoning, uh, 70% of which due to fentanyl poisoning, is to try to get that number down as, as much as possible. How are we doing on that? How are we doing on that? Well, the, the fact is that we are now seeing a level off in that overdose rate. After three plus years of increases up through FY21, calendar year 21, uh, we've now seen a leveling off, and that gives us the chance to find a plateau. I, I'm hopeful that that plateau gives us decrease. Uh, we won't know unless we continue to follow our historic investments with more investment. Final follow-up, Mr. Chairman. So you feel that the flow of drugs and people, including drug dealers coming across the border now, you feel you're, you're uh, making progress on that? That's what you're telling us? Well, I'm focused on the amount of narcotics coming into the United States and the illicit fentanyl coming into the United States and trying to seize as much of that as I can. Every ounce, every pound, every package of fentanyl that we seize along the border is not getting to Americans that are ultimately overdosing. So that is progress to me. Senator Smith. Thank you, Senator uh, Schatz, Chair Schatz and Ranking Member um, I can just tell from this conversation that people feel really strongly about this, and we feel strongly about it because we know that it is such a huge issue in our states. And, you know, I can't remember the time that we've held two hearings um, so close to one another like this, and I think it just underscores the importance of this. And I can tell you that I hear from tribal leaders in Minnesota all the time about the devastation of the fentanyl crisis for every single family. Just as Senator Mullen said, it touches everybody one way or another. Um, um, just last week, I heard a story about a situation in the Sisseton Wahpeton, uh, uh, at Sisseton Wahpeton in South Dakota, just across the border from Minnesota, and the just terrible violence that was driven by drug trafficking. So, um, 
I also just want to say, Mr. Chair, that um, just a note on our Minnesota experience, while there is a huge problem with figuring out how to do prosecutions for these crimes, um, there are some examples where there's been some success. This has been a story that I've heard over and over again from Red Lake Nation, for example, the sort of revolving door that happens with non-Native people coming onto tribal land, committing crimes, drug crimes, sex trafficking crimes, and then just basically walking away. Um, and um, an example of what we are doing that I think is working is the U.S. attorney in Minnesota, and Minnesota, Andy Luger, went up to Red Lake, understood what was going on, and as a result of that and their consultation with Red Lake, was able to hire five special prosecutors uh, for Indian Country in Minnesota with new resources from the Biden administration to be able to get at that prosecution. So it is not a panacea, but it is helping to be able to make um, an improvement. But what I want to focus on is this question of how, um, on the other hand, if tribes have special tribal criminal jurisdiction, that they are able to prosecute these crimes in ways that will also make a big difference. So um, uh, Deputy Director Melville, um, I know that the special tribal criminal jurisdiction goes through the DOJ, but I'd like to ask you about the lessons that you've learned from that program that we could apply here. I've worked on this with many on this committee with these, um, particularly with the VAWA reauthorization. So what can you tell us about the impact of that special tribal criminals jurisdiction on the missing and murdered indigenous people issue? And what can we learn from that that might guide us as we try to get more progress in this area? Thank you, ma'am. Uh, I can tell you that any time that uh, the tribes get special authorization or special jurisdiction, that they take care of it. They, they go after it incredibly uh, hard because they've been taken away that, that jurisdiction from be- before. Right. They finally have a point where they can f- do something themselves. They, they can see the, the product of, of what they're putting forward, and that really empowers them. That They're very, very, very uh, emotional about what – what they're going, what they've got going on, and uh, you know, by giving them uh, that adi- additional jurisdiction that was taken away uh, under Public Law 280 or or um, uh, Oliphant, um, that all of a sudden you know that, that gives those tribes uh, buy-in, and they are absolutely uh, taking care of it. So um, they, it helps quite a bit. So some lessons that we've learned for providing special criminal jurisdiction on missing and murdered indigenous people, we could think about applying that uh, to creating a, um, you know, a, 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 a drug crime special jurisdiction, that it could have some of the same um, positive results, you think? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, uh, Director Cho, I just wanted to, so I just wanted to ask you, when you were first nominated, we discussed my hope to create a special behavioral health program in Indian country model on the successful special diabetes program. What we are talking about, you know, there's a great interplay, of course, between behavioral health issues and substance use disorder issues. And so um, I'm wondering if you could comment briefly on how you think a special behavioral health program um, could help address the fentanyl crisis in Indian country. Thank you, Senator, for that question. Uh, Two things that I would say. One is that, of course, building on the special diabetes program and really uh, incorporating and and the foundation of that was built in Indian country, that each communities were able to to build what they need for their communities. And it's the same place that we need to start 
for behavioral health, or that's where we're at right now with behavioral health, that tribal leaders, tribal communities are taking control of their, of what it is that they need for their specific communities. I see that Indian Health Service or the federal government becomes a support. We, we are technical advisors at some point and we are no longer and should not be driving what uh, is appropriate for 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 Indian country, and this has been something that we are working on. So as we're looking more at strategies, building strategies that we can offer, partnering with people like the Portland Area Indian Health Board and other national organizations to help us build strategies that can be incorporated at the local level to best address this. It has to be following the same model as the SCPI. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think that's very good guidance for us. Appreciate it. Senator Daines. Chairman Schatz, thank you, as well as Vice Chairman Mikowski. Uh, this committee recently heard firsthand from tribal leaders about the devastating consequences of fentanyl. Fentanyl flowing in Indian country, which I think in many ways is ground zero for the overall fentanyl crisis in our nation. In fact, we heard a simple message from Councilman Bryce Kirk, who was here from the Fort Peck Reservation of Montana. To paraphrase what he said, he says, we need to shut down the southern border. That's what he said, to stop these dangerous drugs from entering our country. There must be real policy changes to make the border more secure. It's all tied together. And until we do that, I'm very concerned that lives will continue to be lost, communities will continue to be destroyed, law enforcement overwhelmed by fentanyl and other drugs that are being brought into the United States. When I spend time out on uh, our reservations in Montana, talk to law enforcement, talk to tribal leaders, they'll tell you, from the time that fentanyl crosses the Rio Grande until it gets to a reservation in Montana, it's 48 to 72 hours. In Montana, Native Americans are dying from overdoses at a 2 to 1 ratio. Montana law enforcement broke last year's record of fentanyl seizures in just the first six months of this year, and it continues to climb. It's not a mystery where these drugs are coming from. They're coming across the wide-open southern border. Deputy Director Cohen, the Biden administration's national drug control strategy promised bold action to combat the fentanyl crisis. The Office of National Drug Control Policy cites a mandate from the president to stop drug trafficking organizations that bring fentanyl into our country. My question is, do you think the administration is doing enough to stop the flow of illegal drugs across the southern border? Senator, I, I share your concerns. Uh, the fact that uh, overdose rates are as high as they are in the indigenous communities uh, is difficult. That, excuse me? Oh. Yes, sir. Uh, as I mo mentioned a moment ago in response to Senator Hoven's question, the fact that overdose deaths continue to, to rise in that community is the North Star. And uh, there is, a, there is a, um, a historic commitment by this administration. I appreciate that there is that difficulty. But the fact is that um, we have uh, put record amounts of resources to the southwest border. We are seizing record amounts of narcotics as it's coming across the border. One of the reasons that I urge this committee to pass the supplemental is that I need to continue to keep my foot on the gas to continue to seize in do, the do way you, that... Do you, have you been down on the southern border before? Yes, sir. Have you talked to Border Patrol? Yes, sir. Do you ask them about, as they think about uh, the, the resources stretch, the zero sum of their, tr they've apprehended over 8 million illegals coming across the border, how that somehow 
is part of the calculus in terms of the stretched stretch capabilities. White Border Patrol agents now are starting to retire at record levels because they were they were hired to protect the border, not process illegals. Have you had those conversations with them? The focus of my conversations with CBP uh, rank and file, as well as leadership, is all about doing everything this, that this administration can possibly do to reduce the flow of narcotics. You think it, you think it, it, it distracts the Border Patrol's mission in trying to stop illegal drugs by having to process some now 8 million illegals and plus 1.6 million known gotaways since the president took office? I, I, I'm hesitant to conflate border security, immigration policy, and narcotics trafficking. This is not immigration policy. <laughs> this is about an out-of-control southern border that's wide open. Do you think the administration is doing enough? I think that uh, with our historic investments and with the focus uh, on narcotics trafficking, the fact that we are seizing as much as we are seizing is saving American lives, and that's the metric. I, I, uh, I, I, I understand and respect your opinion and certainly somebody out there trying to help, but I, I, don't, I wouldn't trade you jobs right now. Uh, but I think that's the wrong metric to look at. It's just because we have absolutely flood. It's like saying, we, you know, we, we, if we started measuring how many illegals we've apprehended the border and say we're proud of the fact we've seized, you know, 8 million since the president took office, that's not a record to be proud of. So I'll move on. Uh, Director, so it's my understanding that the relationship between your office, the IHS, and the Blackfeet tribe has deteriorated to the point that the Blackfeet leadership has called for new leadership. The government-to-government relationship between IHS and the Blackfeet is broken, and unfortunately I am not seeing actions being taken to resolve the issue from the lack of doctors to treat basic medical concerns, to provide resources necessary. Uh, The issue, certainly the harm done by Dr. Stanley Weber on the reservation, IHS has failed the Blackfeet Nation. Do you believe the IHS is doing enough for the Blackfeet people to fulfill its trust responsibility? Thank you, Senator, for that question. Of course, every relationship with tribal leaders is absolutely important for the work that I do at the Indian Health Service. I cannot do my job without working very closely with the with all tribes, including the Blackfeet, Blackfeet tribe. Have, have you worked, been to the Blackfeet Reservation I, I have, in your capacity uh, as director? I as, as director. No, I, I was planning to go there, and then we did not make it there. I have, I will continue to, and I have continued to have conversations and outreach to the tribe to make sure that we continue dialogue and conversations I, about the health care services at the, right. on their community. On behalf of the Blackfeet tribe, I would uh, request if you would make that trip, meet with the tribal leaders, meet with the people there on the reservation, and hear it firsthand because I'm hearing it. You should be able to make the same trip out to Montana and hear it from them. I have been out to Montana about four times. I will continue to do outreach with them. And, and yeah, also, as director, though, the position you have now, uh, please th- go see the Blackfeet. Yes, sir. Thank you. Senator Tester. I want to thank you, Mr. Chairman and Ranking Member, for having this hearing. <clears throat> uh, the questions in the, uh, that have been asked here so far got to me thinking the first time I came to an Indian Affairs meeting. It was when Byron Dorgan was chairman and Craig Thomas was Ranking Member. And one of the issues we were talking about was declination in Indian country and why there was such a high rate of declinations. Because, quite frankly, uh, it's a problem, and it's been a problem. Uh, and I'm not going to get political here, so I'm not going to talk about what a wonderful job Trump, or, uh, Trump has done or a wonderful job Biden has done. The truth is this has been a train wreck for a long time and um, through multiple administrations, through multiple uh, regardless which party has been in, in the White House. Uh, U.S. Attorney, uh, 
why has this been the case and why has it continued to be the case? And are, are there any shining stars where we're actually seeing cases being prosecuted at the same rate as off-reservation cases? The department is committed to achieving public safety in Native American communities. And uh, I think one example that I can highlight as a success was actually a cross-jurisdictional effort between my office and the um, Montana U.S. Attorney's Office where we were able to share information very effectively with partnerships between DEA, BIA, and our tribal law enforcement partners to seize 160,000 fentanyl pills before they entered the Colville Reservation and made their way over into the Montana areas as well. So let me ask you, um, wh- why is it this way? Is it? I, I know we've only got one FBI officer in Montana. Sounds like you've only got one FBI officer in North Dakota. Um, why, is, why is it that the declinations are so high. Everything is it, is, is it, and I, I'm not, I don't want to throw the BIA under the bus because by the way, you guys need more people. There's no doubt about it. And if you, if we've got, in fact, I had a tribe in earlier this week and I had a tribe in that I talked to on the phone right before Thanksgiving. We've got a minimum number of BIA agents and 638 tribes are in the same boat. They don't have enough folks. And if you don't have law enforcement, you can't put the down the paper trail and you can't have a good case to be able to get these folks convicted. Let's cut right to the chase. Is that the problem? Thank you, Senator. You've identified the challenges of law enforcement in bringing cases that can be prosecutable to the United States Attorney's offices. In the challenges we have with recruitment and retention on both uh, tribal reservations with 638 contracts or in the BIA, the department is trying to do all it can to fill those jurisdictional gaps and fill those law enforcement gaps. But but a lot of this falls on us, making sure that the BIA has the resources it needs to be competitive. This is not pointed at you in any way whatsoever, uh, Mr. Uh, Melville. Uh, I'm just asking the question, how do your wages and benefits compare with the Highway Patrol? Thank you, Senator. Uh, they're getting better. But they're not close to them, are they? They're getting better. Okay, so when you get an agent trained up, a BIA agent, you know what they're going to look at going to? They're going to go to the Customs and Border Protection, or they're going to go to the county, or they're going to go to the Highway Patrol. This, By the way, this isn't your fault. This is our fault, the folks on this side of the rostrum. And it's not these folks that are the problem either, because every one of us understand that we've got to have money in the budget for the BIA to hire officers. And if they don't have the budget, and by the way, also in the budget for when a tribe 638 that they're getting the same amount of money as you guys have to do the same kind of job. And so it's on us. What would you be a perspective on that? Don't want to throw us all the way under the bus, but you can throw us part of the way. Mr. Melville. You're exactly right, Senator. Absolutely right. I mean, uh, being able to compete with uh, the other departments out there, the, there's a shortage of law enforcement nationwide. When you have city police departments that are offering a $25,000 hiring bonus just for somebody who has law enforcement experience, of course, somebody that's going from a tribe or even the Bureau of Indian Affairs at one point would be tempted to go and, and get that money. And you combine that with the lack of housing, with schools that need attention in Indian country, and why are you going to be able to out-recruit anybody is the point. So we've got a lot of work to do. 
Just one thing for the record that I want to put forth. The fentanyl that's coming into this country, some of it is coming in between the border stations, but the vast majority is coming through the border stations. We need technology. We have technology, by the way, that can determine that stuff, and it's in a car or in a truck or in a hubcap or whatever it might be. And we need to get serious about doing technology and manpower to secure the southern border. But if we really want to do this, we got to quit making it a political talking point and get after it, both sides. Thank you. Thank you very much, Senator Tester. Senator Lujan. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you to our vice chair as well for this hearing. Um, Mr. Melville, um, as the hearing began, I had the honor of uh, handing a letter over to your staff, which I believe has since been shared with you. It's a letter from Mescalero Apache Nation in New Mexico dated August 30th. Um, they still haven't received a response from this letter and previous letters related to this. And Mr. Melville, I was hoping that I can uh, get maybe get a time frame when the agency might be able to get the, the tribe a response to that letter. Thank you, Senator. Absolutely. Uh, since we have received the letter uh, from the tribe, we've been working very, very closely with them, uh, sending folks in to uh, take a look at the programs, seeing what they can do, having more and more communication with the, with the tribe. Uh, the fact that a, a formal letter hasn't uh, gone back to them uh, is something I will need to follow up on. Is that something we can work on and get a formal response to the tribe? Absolutely, sir. I, I appreciate that, Mr. Melville. Um, in New Mexico, thousands of tribal members fell victims to an extensive sober home Medicaid fraud scheme in Arizona. Many were kidnapped from New Mexico and driven hundreds of miles to Arizona under the false promise of treatment. Then they were left there without any means to get home or any treatment whatsoever. The tragedy highlighted the dire need for increases in substance use disorder treatment. Uh, Mr. Cohen, I appreciate in your testimony that you said, quote, if it is easier to get drugs than it is to get treatment, we will never reduce overdose deaths. Close quote. I appreciate that. Now, Ms. So, how is IHS increasing access to substance use disorder treatment so that people do not fall prey to these horrible frauds? And I'll just include that what I would add to Mr. Cohen's statement is also for alcohol-related deaths as well. But my question uh, to you, Ms. So, is um, what is IHS doing to increase access to substance use disorder treatment so that people don't fall prey to these horrible frauds? Thank you, Senator. Uh, this continues, of course, to be a, a challenge across the country to find places where where our people can go, specifically our people from Indian country. Uh, we do continue to work across across the agency to find places where we can we can um, support our our people to go. But many of this is also take integrating into the community level strategies that we can use to again help tribes use their what is working in their communities to build before we can if there if there's any delays to get them into treatment so we are looking at strategies and trying to find ways to do this the ihs community opioid intervention pilot project awarded 35 grants in 2021 a little over 16 million in funding appropriated by congress including one to the albuquerque area indian health board of new mexico but no new awards are available due to lack of funding Ms. So, yes or no, should Congress provide additional funding for this pilot grant program? Yes. Ms. So, yes or no, does the IHS support permanent authorization of this program? Yes. And Ms. So, what would be the impact of IHS's treatment work if 
Congress does not pass a domestic supplement with funding to combat the fentanyl crisis. Thank you, Mr. Senator. We are already behind, as as all of us are talking about here with regards to strategies to, to get in front of the opioid crisis. Uh, failing to fund the supplemental will continue to put us further behind. Mr. Waldriff, in your testimony, you mentioned that Earlier this year, one of the largest ever seizures of narcotics in your district included thousands of rainbow-colored fentanyl tablets. The senator showed us a, a large photo of just one of those bags. You allege that a significant portion of the drugs were destined to the Colville Reservation and other Native American communities in surrounding areas. My question is, why are cartel operatives using tribal lands to transport and hide fentanyl? Thank you, Senator. The challenges that rural communities are facing for uh, addressing the crisis of fentanyl are serious, and we do see drug trafficking operations using rural communities as um, areas to stash drugs. The DEA is engaged in all efforts to ensure that our large drug trafficking organizations are being held accountable for the fentanyl that they're bringing into our communities. And there is information sharing that I would absolutely encourage between our tribal law enforcement, our FBI, and our DEA to ensure that we're gathering appropriate information to not allow those drug traffickers to use any of our communities, particularly our tribal communities, as safe areas. It should not be. There's federal uh, prosecution uh, priorities around ensuring that these drug traffickers are being held accountable for that work. And Ms. Waldriff, in your testimony, you endorsed a multifaceted strategy to address the fentanyl crisis in Indian country. Does the multifaceted strategy include proactive steps the DOJ DOJ will take to address the crisis of missing and murdered Indigenous people? Absolutely, Senator. The dangers that we're seeing in our communities that are related to drug trafficking have so much crossover with violent crimes, including the root causes of missing and murdered indigenous people, and our efforts to prosecute both drug crimes and domestic violence, violent crimes, assaults, are all efforts to address the missing and murdered indigenous people crisis. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you very much. We thank all of our testifiers. And if there are no more questions for our witnesses, members may also submit follow-up questions uh, for the record. The hearing record will be open for two weeks, and I want to thank all of you for your time, your testimony, and your hard work. This hearing is adjourned.